horses are at the gate. And they're off! Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Engelhart, racing's regular guy. Hey, good evening, good afternoon, good night, whenever you're listening to this, because the show is always on podcast, too. But uh, I'm John Engelhart. You're listening to Winning Ponies. Hope you had a great week at the races and any place else you went. It is summertime, which means we've got plenty of racing action. Okay, John, who are your guests tonight? Well, we're going to go to historic Claiborne Farm for our first guest, and it is none other than Walker Hancock. Now, he took over the reins at this iconic breeding farm when he was just 24 years old. He's 27 now. So it'll be very interesting to see uh, the challenges that he's faced uh, in making sure that he continues to do the unusual unusually well. And also the fact that he's under 30 years old, that he brings different things to the game. Uh, Probably a great understanding of of social media and uh, what some of the uh, newer people in racing might be attracted to. Uh, He's also uh, brought uh, Ron Happy and Ironicus to Claiborne for the 2017 breeding season. Of course, this farm so steeped in tradition, I believe that they are 107 years old. It started with Richard Hancock, who was a Civil War veteran. I could go on and on with the history about Claiborne, but this show is only an hour long. And then after that, going to be talking to the King of the Cappers from Louisville, Byron King, and I'm asking him to go north of the border from Louisville and to go to Shelbyville, Indiana, and they are having their grand night. A slew of stakes on the card. If if you are a person that likes the multi-race wagers, you want to concentrate on Indy Grand. Now, this will be, depending on where you are in the country, an evening card. So it starts out a little after 6 Eastern Standard Time, <clears throat> uh, leading up to the uh, Grade 3, half a million dollar Indiana Derby. Uh That'll be contested about 10.06, I believe. So um, you, you, you want to uh, check this out, just a slew of stakes. Now, uh, there's also, of course, the Indiana Oaks. Uh, I feel sorry for some of the local riders because uh, there's a lot of big names that are coming in, uh, guys that uh, usually ride uh, on the East Coast, on the West Coast, and Ellis Park are coming up to Shelbyville for these races. And so with Byron King, uh, we're going to look at the Warrior Veterans. It's $100,000, hopefully on the turf. It's been a little wet in the area, but it's supposed to dry out on Friday and Saturday. supposed to be beautiful. So hopefully they'll be going on the grass. Then the uh, Michael Schaefer Memorial, uh, that race too, $100,000 for three and up. Of course, the Oaks for three-year-old fillies brought some interesting horses in. I've got to think that the one to beat, though, is Mopatism, uh, who's coming out of the Summer Oaks. was only beaten ahead in that grade two at Santa Anita. Doug O'Neill trains, Redham owns, Guterres rides. No big surprise. And then the uh, probably slight favorite, 
in the Indiana Derby is a horse we covered a couple weeks ago, and that's Irap, winner of the Ohio Derby and the Bluegrass this year. So throw out his Derby win, and uh, this horse could be going for his Derby win, his, his dismal Derby attempt. He could be going for three in a row, but we'll have to see how Byron King weighs in on that. So that's a look at our guest. I hope you uh, came over to Winning Ponies last week and pulled down our easy win forms, just as I hope you do every week, because uh, we don't win every race, but man, when we hit them, we hit them awful good. And it tracks all over the country, of course. Ellis Park up and running with some great purses right now. On the 8th of July, we had a $1 pick five that paid $3,479. And then in the Big Apple at Belmont, July 3rd, the fireworks went off early. When we predicted a $2 pick six that paid $3,563, moved to the middle of the state at Finger Lakes. And the day after the 4th of July, there were fireworks. A 50-cent pick five paid $3,413. And if it's hot enough for you, you can go to Florida down to Gulfstream. We had a $1 Super 5 just today. That paid $2,917. Well, as much as the slew of races are happening at Indiana Downs, uh, the big one you're going to want to watch at Delaware would be the Grade 1 Delaware Handicap Songbird will be flying in that one. Also at Delaware, the Grade 3 Kent Stakes. That's a $200,000 race uh, for three-year-olds uh, north of the border at Woodbine, the Duchess Stakes. And uh, then there's like $100,000 races just sprinkled all over the racing calendar. Well, again, I just uh, mentioned uh, the Delaware Handicap. This will be the 80th running. Carries a purse of $750,000. And let's see just how easy Songbird can win because not too many uh, showed up to challenge her. And those that did have nowhere near their credentials of her. But what horse in racing actually does, if you think about it, uh, without her nose lost of a holder in last year's Breeders' Cup distaff, she would be undefeated uh she would have been 13 for 13 so uh that certainly makes her the choice over five runners they got to figure out you know how she breaks out of the gate under mike smith and he just lets her do what she wants which more often than not is to go to the front and stay there so uh you know somebody's gonna have to try to challenge her but uh, again uh the talent field there's a big gap between that um she's the only horse in the field to, to have won at a mile and a quarter and uh, so it'll just be a ting of beauty, as they like to say, to watch songbirds sing in the Delaware Oaks. Hey, guess who's back in training? I thought we'd be getting a press release about where this horse is standing stud. Dortman is back in training at Los Alamitos. Uh, as it turns out, uh, nobody really knew about it, but uh, he uh, came back back oh, almost a month ago in the care of Art Sherman. Of course, uh, we've talked about this horse before. He's absolutely massive. He's a son of Big Brown. So he says he's just kind of going through some slight training, probably won't have his first workout for about 30 days, and uh, they really don't have any target for Dortmund at this time. He's now five years old, and the reports are that he looks like a racehorse again. And really, you know, they say it wasn't good timing because the breeding season was already underway. The 
retirement was announced in April, so they'd have to wait till next year anyhow. And as long as he's fit and healthy and looks like he's enjoying his training, he's back in training with Art Sherman. Of course, earlier in his career, he was in training with Bob Baffert. And whatever happened to Guinevere? Guinevere is going to aim for the Traverse Stakes, but is not going to travel north to uh, prep in the Jim Dandy. So uh, trainer Antonio Sano said he's probably most likely to make a race at Gulfstream Park and then head up to the Travers. A hasn't race since he finished fifth in the Preakness Stakes at Pimlico. Of course, he's a son of Dialed In, Darby Dan Farm, just hitting home runs left and right with their stallion program. And well, I got to the races last week and uh, tuned into Gulfstream Park and Tyler Gaffaloni. Remember this? Oh, oh, over a year ago when uh, my friend Pete Aiello down at Gulfstream said, hey, you got to watch this kid. He's going places. Well, he tied the Gulfstream record with a seven-win day, and that earns him Jockey of the Week honors. Absolutely fantastic. He was never even off the board for the entire race card. Uh, it was just uh, something else. Uh, so uh, he lit it up. He's currently ranked 11th in earnings among all North American jockeys in 2017 with over $5.8 million that his runners have earned under his guidance. Well, let's take a look at some of last week's races. As you know, it was uh, a big out at our Prairie Meadows, and uh, it was the Iowa Derby. And if you did not see this race, you need to go back and watch. Unbelievable. You know, Mike Smith doesn't hang out at Prairie Meadows every day. He had the, the uh, mount on Hence, who was very disappointing in both the Derby and the Preakness, trained by Steve Asmussen. As you watch the race, everybody's kind of bumblebee up at the front there, like a bunch of seven-year-olds uh, playing soccer. Uh, and nowhere in the picture down the backstretch do you even see Hence. All of a sudden, rounding the turn and heading for home in this mile and a 16th race comes Hens and Mike Smith, and it was wow. He paid 940 to win. Uh, McCormick with Julian Leperu uh, stayed up at, for the second spot at 3-1. to one. An impressive edge at 7-2 to two, uh, ran third. So a very formful race. But go back and watch that. It was the Prairie Meadows the Iowa Derby, you will not believe this move Hence makes. So he's back on the three-year-old picture. We'll keep an eye out. Of course, so much action at Belmont Park. Jonathan Kinchin, the uh, national handicapping champion, helping us along. And, uh, of course, everybody's first pick, including Jonathan's, in the Belmont Sprint Championship, winning your in. Mind your biscuits. It was a laugher. Off at 7-5, to five, which was a gift under Joel Rosario. Last race in the Dubai Golden Shanine, a grade one that it won over 13 rivals. Mind Your Biscuits gets the job done. In the second spot, awesome slew. And third was Tommy Macho. Then it was on to the Belmont Oaks Invitational. Of course, all Oaks for three-year-old fillies. And... Uh, 
Jonathan Kinchin picked Sister Charlie the Irish Bread, but it was not to be. It was New Money Honey, the second favorite. Now, this was a pretty formful day for uh, horses that showed that they liked the turf early as two-year-olds. The Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf Philly winner, New Money Honey, got the job done. And so she takes home the Belmont Oaks Invitational. Sister Charlie the Irish Bread, who was last early, got up for second and third. Third, it was Bo Recall, another Irish bred horse. Then moving on to the Suburban Handicap, a legendary race. It was a bit of an upset time in here. Everybody had pretty much written this race off to Shaman Ghost, but it was Keen Ice. Remember him as the horse uh, two years ago that upset American Pharaoh in the Traverse Stakes. Keen Ice got the job done. At five to one, second was Shaman Ghost, and third was the five. Follow me, Krev, off at eleven to one. Following that race, we had the Belmont Derby Invitational, and it was Jonathan Kinchin's Saver Horse Oscar Performance that got the job done. Jose Ortiz, are these Ortiz brothers on fire or what? Four wins on the afternoon with the Belmont Derby Invitational aboard. Oscar Performance, uh, a son of kitten's joy they just relish the turf this was a mile and a quarter on the inner turf in the second spot was called to the bar an irish bread and a third was Holmesen. and uh, then we'll uh, wrap things up with our uh, picks from last week races we're looking at it was a, the delaware oaks if you can go back and look at this one this was a great great stretch run but the winner in here it Tis well, Drayden Van Dyke, another young rider with a lot of upside, got the job done over Proud and Fearless in the third spot. It was the Black Eyed Susan winner who came from far, far back, actress. I think this is a filly with a future, a uh, nice uh, three-year-old tappet. She'll be something to watch. Well, really looking forward to our next guest, and it is Walker Hancock from the legendary Hancock family. We're celebrating 107 years in Paris, Kentucky at Claiborne Farm. I'm John Engelhart. You're listening to Winning Ponies. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. 
stimulating talk. It gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and with me, a man that is at the helm of one of the world's most legendary breeding farms, and that would be 107-year-old Claiborne Farm uh, near beautiful Paris, Kentucky. Uh, I've made many visits to the farms over the year. I can show you a picture of me in Big Red down there uh, when I was doing a television spot on him many, many years ago, obviously. Uh, when you go to Claiborne, you're not going to confuse it with some royal palace or not. It's it's a work working man's farm and uh, that's the way they go about their business but uh, I love their motto doing the usual unusually well again I can't go into the history of this farm because this is only a one-hour show but for the next 15 minutes we're going to be talking to Walker Hancock who took over the farm when he was only 24 years old Walker Hancock welcome to Winning Ponies thanks for having me on John well, uh, just to kind of set the stage, yeah, you started when you were 24, but you pretty much, uh, there's there's nothing on that farm you haven't seen or done, is there? No, that's right. I I, uh, I started at the bottom. I, uh, I remember uh, on the weekends from school, I uh, started showing horses when I was eight years old at the Keelan January sale. Uh, there's actually a picture of me in the blood horse, uh, circa 1997, uh, showing a showing a nice easy going mare um but uh in high school i started on the weed eating crew and hey i put hay and straw on the barns um a lot of hot long summer days but uh i worked my way up throughout the years and uh to where i am today well i'm guessing that that is a hancock tradition uh this position is not going to be handed to you uh just because of your father because there's so much invested in it as far as the reputation and the history of this farm and the success of this farm that you had to earn it and they had to believe in you, Walker. That's right. Yeah. He told me from an early age, he said, you know, you don't have to do this, but if you're going to do it, you have to start at the bottom and do it the right way and work your way up. It's not going to be something you try, you know, you're not going to try another career and then come back when you're late twenties and say, Oh, I want to do the farm because it's the last resort or something. So, um, but it, it was never a question in my mind. I always wanted to, to do the farm you know i grew up on it and uh love the horses ever since i can remember and always was interested uh, i love going around with my dad and going to the races uh i'm competitive by nature so uh i love the racing aspect and uh competing and hoping you have the fastest horse now uh walker earlier when i said this is a working man's farm uh, i trust you didn't take that as an insult but as a compliment no that's right you uh my grandfather coined the phrase doing the usual and usually well and uh, that's, that's exactly right. I mean, we, uh, we have standard barns, uh, breeding shed that's been standing there since, uh, the early 1900s that, you know, conceived six of the 12 triple crown winners. So it's just a kind of a freestanding structure, nothing fancy. Uh, 
we're kind of scared to change it because it's worked so far. So we'll <laughs> try and mo- modernize it. Um, but, um, you know, we'll do improvements here and there, but for the most part, it's very, like you said, it's a working man's farm and, uh, our, uh, our, uh, you know, we, uh, try and do the best we can for our clients and ourselves. Well, uh, while you say you're not going to try to modernize it, I feel that your youthfulness, um, it can play as an asset to the advancement of Claiborne because obviously you grew up in the era of social media. You're very, uh, you know, comfortable, I would assume, with uh, instant uh, communication uh, with your clients, instant information about how your horses are doing. Do you see that as a plus for you, Walker? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when I said we're not trying to modernize it, but we have done a couple of changes. We actually added a visitor center uh, this past fall. Um, that was new to the farm, a new concept. Um, you know, so we it, we did it to accommodate our 10,000 visitors uh, throughout the course of the year. But, uh, no, exactly. You know, we uh, my sister runs our social media. Uh, you know, before a couple of years ago, no one knew uh, what really social media was or how to really uh, be able to use it uh you know, as a, as a tool to enhance your business, especially in the thoroughbred industry. But uh, I feel like we are one of the first to do that and on the forefront, and uh, it's been a huge benefit. I mean, we have 17,000-plus followers on Twitter and 20,000-plus likes on Facebook and stuff. So it's a great way to uh, engage with our fans, and we're very uh, appreciative of all the support we receive. Well, really, if you're uh, to, to stay on the, the the cutting edge without changing what happens in the barns, uh, you have to do that. Now, one thing uh, that uh, when I called you last week and I spoke to you uh, that I admire about the Claiborne philosophy is that you don't, like several farms have recently, um, give up on a horse after its second or third crop. You continue to send quality mares. You can sit, continue to recruit uh, quality breeders to support these horses. Tell me about that philosophy. Well, it goes back to uh, our shareholders and the stallions that we syndicate. I mean, we have a great great group, uh, group of uh, people that uh, are loyal supporters, and they'll stick with the horse. Uh, you know, it's really not fair to stallions when people give up on them so quick. Uh, I've always heard you really can't judge a stallion until they're first cropper in the summer of their four-year-old year. So to really uh, judge one before that, it's very unfair to the stallion. And we, uh, when we, uh, when we buy a stallion, you know, we, uh, it's a promise to, uh, to the, to the seller that uh, we're going to do right by him. And, uh, you know, we're going to put a good group of uh, syndicate members together that are going to support the horse for uh, not just the first or second year, but the third and fourth year as well until he really gets going. Well, one that uh, comes to the forefront of my mind is one of my favorite horses, period, and I've had the chance to visit him in person, uh, and that's Blame. And uh, it looks like all of a sudden he's got a classic winner, and uh, when I open up the back of, I'll say, the blood horse, and I start looking at the, you know, uh, the, the results, and I, I continue to see, you know, uh, your uh little advertisements up there every time, you know, a, a son or daughter of, of Blame or actually any Claiborne horse wins. Uh, tell me a little bit about Blame. I was there on the finish line uh, when uh, when he caught Zenyatta that day. Uh, I know it left a lot of mixed emotions with people, but it was an awesome performance. And he, in person, he's an awesome-looking horse, very muscular. Oh, yeah, he's one of our best-looking stallions that we have uh, it was obviously huge for him to get his first uh, classic winner uh, a few weeks ago when Senga won the uh, French Oaks, and to do it on an international stage was probably even larger because it, uh, 
you know, all of Europe paid attention as well as America. So uh, that was great. And uh, he's had a really good uh, few months here lately. Um, he's had some nice two-year-old winners as well. So hopefully he's going to continue that into the summer and uh, really be popular this, this time next year and uh, hopefully uh, be well-received uh, this fall and people will remember to, to breed to him. So, uh, you know, he, he didn't get off to the hottest of starts, but he's really come come uh, come about lately, and uh, he's rewarding those people that have stuck with him and bred to him the whole time. Well, between his looks and his accomplishments on the track, I think uh, he's going to be around and making headlines for m- many, many years. Now, Claiborne has some of the best clients in the world, but Claiborne also raises their own and has homebreds. An example would be uh, Bendable, who just uh, won a grade three recently. Um, about how many horses uh, are actually bred under the Claiborne name each year, percentage-wise, to your clients? So uh, we probably have about uh, 25 mares in partnership with our longtime client, Adele Dilsteiner, who owned half a blame with us. And we have about 30 or so of our, of our own that we... Uh, of uh, mares that we have, but uh, we mainly sell those, and we'll keep the ones in partnership with Miss Dillshiner. Uh, so the ones that you see racing, it's mainly Claiborne Dillshiner. Bendable is actually a rare case uh, of one that we kept ourselves. Uh, you know, at the time, Horse Greeley wasn't very commercial, and she was a nice filly. We knew we weren't going to get what we deserved for her, um, so we decided to keep her, and thankfully we've been rewarded. Well, uh, as we spoke before you came on, um, uh there's really almost never a downtime uh, when you're operating at the level that you are. And, and now it's time to get the horses ready uh, for the selected yearlings at Saratoga. And it looks like you're coming in there with a solid hand between Warfront, First Samurai, Flatter, and Orb. Yeah, that's right. We, uh, we're actually we're not going to sell at Saratoga this year. We're pointing them all towards uh, Keeneland September with their new uh, Book One bonus program. Uh, we're going to support that and uh, hopefully get lucky. But yeah, you're right. We have uh, we have some really really nice prospects to uh, to offer this September. So uh, hopefully, uh, you know, our expectations are met, and uh, I think they will be. They're really nice individual horses. Well, in in, in mentioning those horses, some of your stallions though will certainly be represented at Saratoga. A friend of mine has a flatter uh, out of uh, white lace and promises that's going up there. It's always uh, exciting to accept it, to get accepted into into that book for sure. So when when your staff, I mean, do you have do you have selected staff that just prep the yearlings? I know you've got guys that just handle the stallions. How do you break up your staff at Claiborne? Yeah, so obviously we have a. Uh, really solid stud guys and we have 12 stallions and usually, you know, they're our greatest assets. So, uh, they're really solid guys. Um, but we also have a, a really good yearling staff. Um, and they, we, uh, we don't hire any outside help. It's all guys that raise the horses from when they were weanlings to, uh, when they go to sale. Um, so, uh, we're lucky with that. And, uh, they, they saw how the horses have grown and matured. And if a central buyer is looking at one, they can certainly ask them questions and, They'll know the horse just as good as anybody else on the sales ground. So um, that's a benefit that we like to have. And, uh, um, yeah, we're, we're very blessed to have some really good help around the farm. Yeah, I, I've noticed that. There's a, a lot of longevity there. Well, it, it must uh, be um, very uh, encouraging. That's probably not the word. Uh, th- that when, when you look at, classic winners when you look at sales toppers as you go through their pedigree pages you, you begin to see all these names uh, pop up 
uh, of horses uh, that once stood uh, or perhaps still stand at Claiborne Farm. I mean, does are you ever in awe of the impact that Claiborne has had on the breed? I, I try and say as humble as I can, but uh, when you step away from it, yeah, it's it's pretty remarkable. I mean, our graveyard is uh, basically a hall of fame. I mean, it's right outside of the office, and uh, you know, I walk through there, and I'm just you look around, and it's like uh, it kind of gives you the chills. It's the foundation of the thoroughbred breed, really. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's a who's who of thoroughbred racing, and from past to present. Um, so yeah, it's it's. You kind of, unfortunately, I, I become numb to it, but I try not to just because uh, I'm around it every day. But, uh, no, it, it's certainly, uh, we've had an impact on the, on the breed. Well, uh, well you, know, you have. That, that's, that's a testament to my dad and my grandfather and his, my, you know, my great-grandfather and on down the line. Well, I mean, you know, if you just think about the, the influence of the breeding in the first half of the 20th century, uh, the, the imports uh, like uh, Sir Galahad III and Blenheim II uh, that resulted in uh, Triple Crown winners uh, Gallant Fox and Whirlaway. And now we're seeing your bloodlines being represented over in Europe. Are you seeing more of a mix of the international again? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this business is becoming more global every, each and every day. And, uh, you know, uh, you certainly see that with Warfront. Uh, it seems like he has his best runners, it seems like, are in Ireland and England and Europe. So, uh, you know, that, that just adds to his international appeal. And, uh, you know, he's recognized all over the world, which is great because people come to the sale and they'll be willing to pay a premium for his offspring because uh, they've known about him and heard about him and seen, seen the success that he's had. Uh, well, we're talking with Walker Hancock from a Claiborne Farm. And, Walker, I'm sure we probably piqued the interest of a lot of people, though most of our listeners are well aware of, of Claiborne. But should someone be in the Lexington area and uh, traverse over to the, uh, shall we say, northeast side to Paris, Kentucky, uh, you do open your arms uh, to visitors, I think, twice a day? That's right. We have a 10 o'clock and 11 o'clock tour. Uh, we do cap it at about 40 people, so... If you plan on coming, please give the office a call or visit our website, and they'll have uh, information on there. Uh, we had about 10,000 uh, visitors last year, and like I said, we just opened a brand-new visitor center that uh, has some history plaques and uh, shows a little short video and ads of our stallions, and uh, folks can gather there and get a drink of water or maybe even buy a hat or shirt if, they, if they're so uh, inclined. And, uh, yeah, I, I encourage everyone to check it out, and if you're ever in the area, please stop in and say hello and, the stallions. <laughs> that is fantastic. Well, uh, I, I've done it many a time. Uh, my roots go back to an old turf writer by the name of Charlie Cook, who has long since passed. And I know uh, his family had an impact on your farm. And uh, it's just been marvelous anytime I've been there. But it, and it's just amazing how you continue to uh, replace some of the most historic stallions in the breed. And just before we go, I, I want to talk about uh, two horses that uh, I believe you had some influence in bringing there, and that's uh, Ironicus and Run Happy. Yeah, that's right, and Mastery, too. He's he's new for next year. Uh, oh, I forgot about Mastery, of, yeah. Yeah, we have, a, we have a lot of good young stallions at uh, the farm that we're really excited about. You know, Orb and Datalink had their first crop two-year-olds running this year. We've got... Uh, the first crop of Lee, uh, who people kind of forget, unfortunately, but uh, he was a solid racehorse in himself. Uh, he has first-year first foals, and Ron Happy just bred his first book. 
Uh, same with Ironicus and uh, Mastery will be new to the farm this coming year or this coming season. Uh, how has the attraction, because Run Happy's been in a lot of different headlines, shall I say, but his his awesome speed was unbelievable. Uh, how has he been received and what kind of mares is he getting? I mean, he's he's got as good as a book as any stallion in central Kentucky, I tell you. Um, he filled up before December 1st. Uh, it's very, very hard to get a season to him. Uh, we, we actually turned down more mares than, than we accepted just because his popularity was so great. Uh, but, uh, you know, hopefully that continues through the next couple of years. Uh, I'm, he's a grand-looking horse, and I'm sure he's going to have great-looking foals. I mean, the mares that were bred to him were, were fantastic, and uh, we're really excited to see what his foals look like next spring. Walker, I want to ask you one last question. I go way back uh, in, in time and remember when uh, horses' books were limited to 40 mares. Um, what's the philosophy of Claiborne as far as the number of mares and uh, the, 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 you probably get offers to shuttle stallions? Uh, what's your philosophy on that? Well, we absolutely do not shuttle any stallions. Um, uh, there's no question about that. Um, but, yeah, it, uh, we, we try and limit our books. Uh, the first year stallions, we'll try and get 125 or so mares to them, uh, just to try and uh, let them compete with the rest of their crop that are might be breeding 180, 190 or something like that. So we feel 125, you'll at least get a good representation of what the stallion's uh, talents may be. Um, but then once once they get established, like Warfront, he'll breed 95 to 100 mares each year. Um, you know, we keep the supply down and the demand high. Uh, people uh, beg us to let us breed their grade one takes mares to them and uh you know we like it like that it uh it helps the breeder it helps the seller the buyer everything i mean the buyers have to pay a premium but uh that's uh you know obviously speaks speaks for the horse and how uh the success he's had here and internationally um so that's our that's kind of our philosophy we like to limit our books and uh and, and keep it close-knit and uh keep the demand for all of them high that's a great philosophy, and I respect it. Walker Hancock from Claiborne Farm, thank you so much for your time tonight on Winning Ponies. All right. Thank you, John, for having me on. All right. Going to take a quick break, and we come back. Louisville's King of the Cappers, Byron King, is going to be with us going north of the border to Indiana. You're listening to Winning Ponies. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com And they're off! What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with WinningPonies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let WinningPonies.com make some money for you. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? 
Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Englehart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Englehart. All right, and with me, Byron King from the Daily Racing Forum is with us. I uh, always enjoy reading his columns, and uh, I know he's not too far from Indiana Downs, down there in Louisville, uh, that he calls home. Byron, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing great, John. How are you? I'm good as long as I'm in air conditioning. I don't know what it's like down there. We had our hottest day of the year up here. Yes, it's rather warm, although right now it's it's pretty nice. I'm actually sitting on the on the banks of the Ohio River here in Louisville, Kentucky, and staring off uh in into Indiana, which uh will be uh uh apropos considering we'll be uh handicapping Indiana Grand pretty soon. Now, Byron, as a writer for the Daily Racing Forum, I know you guys get different assignments. They, you know, Marty McGee does something and you do something and they kind of, you know, farm things out regionally. Well, what what is your circuit like for the rest of the summer? Or is it just put me in, coach, and it depends on where they need you? Well, um, my position, more so than, say, Marty's, is more of an analytical handicapping-based one, whereas Marty does more human interest kind of stories, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, but not that I don't contribute to that as well, but, but mine is more handicapping. So, for example, today I, I had uh, Mike Watchmaker, who usually does the, the weekend warrior section in the daily racing form he's on vacation so i did the weekend warrior and and that included um, a couple races from indiana grand as well as um the los alamitos derby and uh of course i'll be handicapping races from all over but um my focus shifts to a lot of different tracks once churchill and keeneland are dark you know in this case we have ellis park running and uh, you know, in, in just a little while, we'll have Saratoga and Del Mar. So pretty much if there's a track meeting, I'm looking at it. <laughs> well, that's why we brought you in to bring you up to beautiful Shelbyville, Indiana, where I will be making my first visit to Indiana Grand this weekend. Really? Uh, yes. Wow. Uh, it's hard to believe because I'm regionally I'm not that far away, um, and, I, and I've heard good things about it. Uh, my friend Jenny Reese is up there, and I'm going to be kind of helping her out just a little bit uh, with, with some things. But I'm going up there. Uh, Toba's holding a uh, new owner's seminar, and I want to make sure – I want to see how they go about doing it because, you know, in my new role, uh, that's something I'm going to be doing here in the near future. So I want to get the feel for uh, – the, the way Toba approaches it. Have you ever been to one, or do you have any suggestions for someone that's running a new owner seminar? Well, I can't say that I've been to any of the specific Toba ones, uh, but 
I have been a horse owner over many years, uh, not currently, but, but I have owned horses, uh, a variety of different types. I guess the most important thing that I think people need to stress, that needs to be stressed, um, and it's an unfortunate part of it, but just that this is a really tough business model for making money. So your number one goal going into it should be the fun and excitement of horse ownership more so than the, uh, I'm going to turn a profit on this kind of thing. You know, it, it's a very, very tough game to turn a profit on. You can, but the vast majority do not. And uh, part of that is the, the high costs of everything. And horses are also very fragile. Now, Having said all that, I, I'd say that the thrills associated with it, if you have the disposable income to do it, are quite enjoyable. And uh, some of my best memories have been as a, as a horse owner. So, um, you know, that to me is the excitement. You know, it's, it's like kind of, you know, um, your chance to own a sports team, so to speak, uh, you know, but at a fraction of the cost, although, you know, it, it may not appreciate like the Dallas Cowboys or something, you know. Well, you know, I, I've always told friends because, you know, while I've bred known uh, horses uh, by myself or with uh, family members, I've also been in, in a lot of partnerships. And even if you just own 10%, when that horse hits the finish line in front, it's like your first kid hitting the winning shot in the state basketball tournament. It is quite exciting. And uh, that is a good way for people to get involved. Also, I think the a really big key is to have a good relationship with your trainer. I think uh, I personally would never like just employ a trainer um, off of telephone call or anything like that. I think you want to go visit the barn, see how they operate, see how they communicate. If you're a one horse owner in a stable with uh, where most of the other owners have you know, a, a larger number of horses, are you going to get the attention that you want? Are you going to get the communication that you want? You know, are you, or are you going to be relegated to um, last on the list uh, to call back? And then it's all what you want, you know. There's a lot of people that want the friendship and the camaraderie with the trainer, and there's others that could care less about that that rather just, hey, I just want to win, you know. So there's others that like to be out and watch their horses work out and exercise, and there's others that, you know, say, I'll just show up on race day, you know. So um, those are important considerations as well as where you are and um, the the kind of purses that you can run for, you know. Naturally, you want to, though at smaller tracks, some of the costs and the day rates are lower, you know, what you can make in purses is are much smaller. So you have to weigh all those things. And, and naturally, I think usually the best strategy is to find uh, the most rewarding purses um, relative to the the worst company for it, you know, so that your horses have a good chance to win and yet you have a good chance for a return. So uh, by that, for example, you know, Indiana Grand might be a great spot because they are 
they have the benefit of uh, uh, casino gaming that allows them to burst, boost their purses. Um, and though it's a certainly a great thrill to win at Saratoga, that's a very high cost to go up there, and you better do some serious running to win. So those are the trade-offs <laughs> and the things you have to consider. Well, I, I, again, there, there's... Uh, Hard to put a price on the emotional high of being in the winner's circle, but we'll move on and see who's going to get in the winner's circle. Great card up there at Indiana. A slew of $100,000 races leading up to the Oaks and the Derby. Uh, let's kick it off with the fifth race. I know we've had some wet weather, but it's supposed to taper off tomorrow in the Midwest and be very nice on Saturday. And these races don't start until the evening hours. So, the fifth race is scheduled for a mile and a 16th on the turf. And I see that uh, Western Reserve is cross entered not only in this race, uh, but in the seventh race going a mile and 70 on the main. So I don't know if they were waiting to see what conditions were and which they preferred. I mean, this horse has won 222,000 uh, on the turf. So it'll uh, be interesting to see where J.K. Sweeney decides to go. In this field, you got Conquest Typhoon, who was second in the race last year. Uh, then you've got uh, the ever-consistent uh, Chocolate Ride. Uh, I'm a big fan of candy ride horses. This one's no youngster, seven years old. And the French Bread Pluvian uh, with... Uh, uh, his favorite jockey, Corey Lannery, up. Uh, those are three that kind of rise to the top to me. Who does Byron King like? You know, this was a race where I really could find faults with a number of horses, a number of the favorites. So I went long shot hunting here, and I went with one mean man who's winless this year, but he won six races last year. So the talent is there. He also just, he's been catching a lot of wet turf courses uh and i think perhaps that's been a contributing factor to maybe his his little recent slump so if it dries out and um i'm certainly hopeful that it will that um he might step up at a price and uh, he's also well drawn in post one so he can save some ground so one me man at eight to one on the morning run all right. Well, again, it's uh, not the biggest field. I don't have any odds in front of me. Byron, what are one mean man's odds if you do have that info in front of you? He is 8 to 1. Uh, some of the others in there, Pluvin is 7 to 2. Gangster is 5 to 2. Chocolate Ride is 3 to 1. They are the, uh, the favorites in the field. And uh, Western Reserve, who you alluded to, that's cross centered, is uh, 8 to 1. While you brought that name up, Western Reserve, I got a problem with this. Western Reserve used to be a champion Ohio horse, and there was actually stakes races. There was the Western Reserve Handicap. In my opinion, the jockey club should not re-release a name of a horse that's already had a stakes race named after him. I understand, you know, they do, after so many years, release names, but don't you think there should be some kind of rule that if you're a stakes winner... Your name's good for life, even if you're a gelding? I don't know if uh, how many that would take out of the pool of, of horses. Uh, I do know, I believe there is a restriction on, is it grade one winners or, or something like that, I believe, uh, that that can't be renamed. But I I don't know. I, it, it It is a bit confusing um, at times, uh, but... 
to be I honest know, with I, you. I've, I've, there's other things that kind of focus on a little more. But I know, um, I know you don't have the definitive thing, but it's just my feeling, I guess, because I'm an Ohio guy. Well, and you're and, absolutely right, and I think you should have on the jockey club and take them to task. I will because they also they also let them name a horse Glacial Princess and she was like a three time Ohio horse of the year that won almost a million dollars and they went ahead and let them name somebody after her because sad to say she never had a fall but anyhow let's move on like I said the undercard and the reason I picked these races were you know the favorites like three to one in most of the undercard races and the Michael G Schaefer Memorial uh, we're going a mile and seventy yards the horse we just mentioned Western Reserve could potentially I guess go in it this one's on the main track and uh, one of my favorite horses that's just tailed off you talked about a horse doing uh, you know well in the past that's tailed off is is Eagle and one of my favorite riders is uh, is Brian Hernandez but then uh, along similar lines is Mo Tom I mean this is a horse that was held in you know the highest regard competed in the uh, you know Kentucky Derby uh, Louisiana Derby won the Risen Star won the Lecompte um, you know if Tom Amos has done his job right he could jump up but he's 0 for 4 so far this year um, I'm very confused it's not a big field but I'm having a hard time outside of Abraham who's a horse that absolutely thrives at Indiana Grand well, this was a race that I selected as one of my weekend warrior plays in the daily racing form. And ah. there's a horse I like quite a bit in here, Fear the Cowboy, the number one horse. He is the three to one second choice in the race. They have Eagle as the five to two favorite. I'm not so sure Eagle will be the favorite. I kind of thought maybe Motown might. They have him eight to one, which I can't possibly see. But regardless, Back to Fear the Cowboy. I just think this is a rock-solid horse who's been uh, in the exact end four or five starts this year. He's run against some nice horses. He comes off a second in the Evangeline Mile behind Iron Fist, who came back and won the Cornhusker. Um, this is a horse that's won at Gulfstream. He's run well at Houston. He's won at Delta. He's won at Evangeline. He he doesn't seem to to mind which track he over which he competes, and I like the fact that he drew the rail. It's a very very short run to the turn here, in a mile seventy yard races at Indiana Grand. I mean it's very short, and while he's not a speedy type, I think that will help him to stay a little closer to the speed, and perhaps be in front of some of the other closers who in my mind, are his principal foes, so like Eagle, and uh, as well as Mo Tom, who are drawn outside him, and perhaps if he can get in front of them early, I think he's got enough of a kick that they probably won't be able to outfinish him. Well, I, I did go up on my uh, DRF uh, uh, section and look at post positions that you guys, there's so many categories that you cover, Um and let me tell you, it looks like the on the main track, you want to be one, two, three, four. So uh, I'll, I'll have to second your emotion uh, there as far as uh, like it, like in the post position. Well, let's move on to one of the biggins. Uh, it's now a grade three, the Indiana Oaks. And I've got to guess the horse with the target on its back is Mopatism. 
Uh, Mario Gutierrez, owned by Radham Racing, Doug O'Neill. Can you say I'll have another in Nyquist? Uh, so it's got great connections. Uh, it's got a great pedigree. It's by Uncle Mo. Just missed by a head in the uh, grade two uh, summer Oaks. Uh, interesting enough, uh, also in this race is the uh, Keith DeSormo train, Kent DeSormo ridden majestic quality. It was only beaten a length and a half in that race. And um, we'll see if Wicked Lick can't uh, bounce back. It's hard to believe that that horse is eligible for non-winners of two, uh, but uh, has always uh, competed against the best. Byron King, weigh in. This was a race that I couldn't really go against the favorite too much. Mobitism. This, if you watch the replay of her race in the summertime Oaks at Santa Anita, she got bumped and carried out pretty significantly into the first turn of that race. Really, um, a kind of deceptively bad trip, as it's not really noted in in the in the um, the, the comment lines of the the past performances. And for her to keep trying the way she did, I thought was really quite admirable. So in my mind, even though she was only you know, a little bit more than a length in front of uh, majestic quality at the finish or a length and a quarter, uh, she ran a lot better race. Uh, the other horse pretty much lagged at the back, had a smooth trip, um, and I think that there would have been more of a margin between the two. Now, the price isn't anything great, 7 to 5, so... I wouldn't be betting her at that price, but I do think well, she's the one you need to focus on. We get we 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 got multi-race uh, wagers here, so yes, uh, you definitely true. have to. That's true. In terms you, of you have wagering, to weigh in. I'd, I'd say that, but yeah, I do think she is a a very very logical horse to um to think about for uh, perhaps a single four uh, leg of a multi-race wager. All right, Byron, put this on your ticker. We got about three minutes left. We're going to the big one. Half a million dollars up for grabs in the Indiana Derby. Uh, most are thinking that I rap. If you throw out his Kentucky Derby, would be going for three in a row. He's a gorgeous son of Tis now. Uh, trained by Doug O'Neill, Redham Gutierrez. I think we just said those words a little while ago. Uh, looks like uh, looks like maybe uh, the the one to beat. Mystery horse in here for me, last week on the show I had John Court, and he hinted to me that Colonel's dark temper is working like a bear. Again, I don't have the odds in front of me. Uh, do you see what he's listed at? He is 10 to 1, and indeed he is working like a bear. He went uh, a minute and a fifth in the slop on July 6th, and he went seven furlongs, very rare kind of work of that length. Uh, you don't see too many of those in Kentucky. 126 and 3. So uh, those are his post Matt Wynn works. He was second in the Matt Wynn. He is 10 to 1. And But the horse that I went with, although I respect IRAP and you know, certainly have to like his two races in the Bluegrass and the Ohio Derby, you know, I'm a little concerned that he he loses Julian Leperu, who was aboard for both of those two. Yes, They're yes. using the stable rider, Mario Gutierrez, who's kind of like the first call guy for all Redham racing horses. So yes. that kind of explains it. But boy, how do you take off a guy that's two for two on a horse? But um, that's a bit of a, uh, of a head scratcher that could cause some regression. And also he... 
He never shipped back to California after the Thistledown race. He's kind of been uh, training all over the place, I guess, everywhere from Thistle to Prairie Meadows. He even worked at Prairie Meadows. Um, he went and joined his stablemate, Shane's girlfriend. So I just think there's a couple factors that could lead to regression. And so I'm trying Untrapped, who's 6-1 to one and who was third in the Ohio Derby and who has been multiple graded places this year. You know, Byron, I thought the same thing. It's not like Le Peru is uh, in uh, New York or someplace. He's sitting in the jockey's room at Indiana Grand, and he's the only jockey that's won on IRAP. I just, uh, I maybe it's just a dedication thing to, to Mauro uh, Guterres, who, you know, was, was going to be there making the flight from California. But, yeah, you, you stole the word out of my mouth, Uh uh, head scratcher. Well, uh, my producer, Matt Widener, is telling me I got to wind things down, but all I can say is Byron King, the king of the cappers from Louisville, I always love having you on Winning Ponies, and I thank you for your time. Uh, it was my pleasure, John, and you have yourself a great time up in Indiana Grand. I think you'll like it. It's a very nice, uh, horse friendly track for a track that has a casino. They're, they They put on a good show. That's what I've been told, and I am looking forward to it. We've been talking with Byron King. You can read his uh, columns and his selections in the Daily Racing Forum online if you don't buy the paper version. Also, want to thank Walker Hancock. Uh, boy, what a young man, but he's got a world of experience. And uh, let me tell you, if you do get a chance to be in the central Kentucky area, take that trip over to Paris, Kentucky, and you'll be surrounded by history. If nothing else, the walk through the cemetery Cemetery is uh, better than being at the Racing Hall of Fame. So for Byron King, uh, for uh, our, our, our friend uh, Walker, I want to thank everybody, including producer Matt Widener, for putting us on the air here on Winning Ponies. And I rem- want to remind you, we've had a slew of big winners. Get up on winningponies.com, pull down those easy win forms. But remember, when you go to the races, bet with your head, not over it. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. We know the information from today's show will help you at the next post. Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network.